0: Good morning, church family. I hope you are all doing well out there. Happy Sunday. Uh, Today we are still in the Psalms for Summer series, and we are going to deal with Psalm 56. Uh, So to start off, I just want to read Psalm 56 in case anybody's not familiar or just to give you kind of a refresher. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words, all their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll, are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and I'm not afraid. What can man do to me? I'm under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, and I may walk before God in the light of life. So I don't know about you, but I love a little bit of fear. Not a lot, but just kind of that adrenaline pumping fear feeling. So in my house, I have these huge windows at the front of my house and these huge windows at the back. And my kitchen is right in the middle. And so I am a huge fan of a good home invasion scary movie where, you know, like there's no one, you can't see what's happening. Uh, And I, I often like to watch them when I'm home alone just to add a little more to that feeling. But it never fails that right when the movie's at its scariest and the person's just about to get in the house, I run out of snacks or I need water or there's some reason that I need to go to my kitchen, which again is in between the huge windows. And I, every single time... I, when I get there, I have to walk with my head down so that I'm not looking at these windows because I'm just so convinced that someone's face is going to be in the window and they're going to be waiting out there with like whatever, trying to get in. So there's a few things that I should really know better. First of all, it's Beaumont, which I mean, in the past few years has gotten bigger. But when I grew up here, there was like. I don't know, a couple thousand people, and we barely locked our doors back in the day. And the other thing that is probably the most realistic is that that window is on a second floor. So unless someone's on a ladder trying to stare in my window, there's probably not going to be anyone there. So it really is just an irrational fear. And uh, it just helps me, you know, scare myself a little bit more. Uh, The same thing happens Friday nights here at Eaglemont Church. So we run youth, and in the winter it's dark by like 6 o'clock, and youth ends, and we're usually done about 10.30. And so my office is in the basement, and there's one stairwell with a glass door and the middle floor. And it never fails that every Friday I go down to put stuff in my office, and on my way back up, I know when I'm standing at the bottom of the stairs, I have to run to get past this door, because I'm just, again, convinced that someone is going to be standing at that door waiting. It's a locked door, and there's still people in the building, but it just feels too scary. And that's the good kind of fear where, you know, you get a little bit of that adrenaline and it's kind of fun still, but there's also a very real other kind of fear that is less fun. And that's that fight or flight fear. The fear of financial struggle, fear of a global pandemic, uh, fear of a failing marriage, fear of the future and fear for the safety of your family and yourself. These are, there's definitely more than just that list, but these are not the fun little shot of adrenaline kind of fear, but they can be crippling to us and really derail our lives if we don't deal with it. So when I was a kid, I had a pretty good method of how to escape that fear. You know, like my friends would do the, those weird mirror things where you turn off all the lights and try to scare yourself. And I remember being so terrified as a kid and my method was very simple. I would sit on the floor, I would close my eyes, I would plug my ears, and I would sing Jesus Loves Me. Because to me, uh, that was the safest place. I covered all my bases. I couldn't be pushed over. I couldn't see what was happening. I couldn't hear what was happening. And I was saying Jesus, which there's power in Jesus' name. So I felt that that covered all my bases and that made me safe. But for David, the writer of Psalm 56, there was no avoiding the fear that he was feeling. He couldn't just sit down and hide it out. While writing this, David had just escaped the persecutions of Saul, who was a notorious killer of the Jews just because of their religion at that time. And while he was running away to escape that, he ran right into where the Philistines were, which the people of Israel were their number one enemy. And no doubt they have heard the story that was spreading through the countryside, which was of a man named David who entered into battle with another man named Goliath and David won. So the Philistines, they challenged him as to who he was and they wouldn't accept what he was saying. They didn't believe that he came in peace and they made him an enemy. The psalm may have been written while he was waiting them to pounce and was just praying in anticipation of what could happen. Now, I don't believe in luck, but if I did, this would be some bad luck. David has just escaped a man who's trying to kill him by running for his life. So he didn't sit down and map out his path of where he wanted to go. He just ran. And as soon as he was far enough away from one set of danger, he thought, okay, I have a section to catch my breath and I'm going to be okay. He looked around and probably thought, you've got to be kidding me because he has now entered into the place where he just fought their army and killed one of their best fighters. So he probably wasn't, uh, warmly welcomed as I think we could all say. I could only imagine that at this point, David was probably thinking, God, you said I would be king. And here we are. I did not sign up for this. And looking at the words David wrote during this, I'm amazed by what he says. Because it's not what I would say, honestly. He says, Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So he talks about how he's being followed and stalked and how there are people chasing after him. And yet he says, what can mere man do to me? Well, a whole lot, David. I've seen Gerard Butler movies. I know what can happen. And there are some very unpleasant things that mere mortals can do to you. And these aren't just average people either. These are trained guards and a city that wants retribution because you just defeated their army. So I think that, I mean, I'd be pretty terrified. Yet David is not afraid of what they will do, even though it would mean imprisonment, torture, probably death. But he says, in God, I trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So what I want to explore today is in this psalm is how has David come to be able to trust God in the midst of such great fear and physical danger? You know, it's easy to say that we trust God when things are good. I do it all the time. And it's even easy to say that you trust God when things first start getting a little bit shaky. But it's really the true test when you are deep in the trenches and fear is surrounding you. I would say David is pretty deep in the trenches at this point. When he says, all day long they twist my words, their schemes are for my ruin. And he says, they conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. But he repeats, in God I trust and I'm not afraid. I was raised in the church Uh, my parents were christians and took me to sunday school when i was little and i can distinctly remember being in sunday school and learning that with jesus in our hearts we don't ever have to be afraid and since then i've heard a number of sermons about how we don't need to be afraid as christians and while that is incredibly true i know that it isn't easy my human nature makes me want to rely on myself and figure out what i can do to get out of these situations Uh, What can I change to make this better? Where can I sit down, close my eyes, and say Jesus so I don't know what's happening? And what these mere mortals can do, that terrifies me. And I find that that can cause great fear. The idea of physical pain, financial crisis, and emotional turmoil are all mortal fears that make me very afraid. And so how does David, with torture and manipulation and the threat of death being so close and so real still say that he is unafraid in God. Simply, it's because he knows who God is. In order to have the same trust in God that David has, we need to know God like David did. And the way we do that is through his word. Trust comes from knowing who someone is. So in sociology and psychology, the degree to which one party trusts another is a measure of belief in the honesty, fairness, and benevolence of another party. Broken down, we can't fully trust someone unless we know their character. And there is nothing more that God desires than for us to know and love him fully. That's why we were given the Bible. So it is God's words speaking directly to us and showing us who he is. From the beginning of creation to original sin and to him sending his son Jesus to redeem us, God reveals who he is continuously throughout the Bible. His unrelenting love is everywhere and his promise to give us peace and to keep us safe and give us comfort is proven time and time again in his word. If you haven't spent time in the word of God before, I strongly encourage you to do it. There is no better way to know who he is. This entire book is just story after story of God's faithfulness. And it's just every, there is no such thing as an unfulfilled promise or an unheard prayer within that book. When Jesus Christ came and died for our sins as the perfect sacrifice, we were no longer separated from a personal relationship with God because of our sin, but we were given the chance to connect with God personally through his word and through prayer. So David put his trust in God, even his praise in God's word. He didn't pray vague prayers of hope, but anchored his pain and longing and fear into the specific promises of God, saying, When I am afraid, I cling to you in your word. Instead of dwelling on the terrifying mountains in front of him, he set his mind on what God had said to him and for those who love him. Suddenly, the threats no longer seem threatening because they're being drowned out by a louder voice, and that is the voice of a loving father who is holding us safely in his hand. David says twice in Psalm 56 that there is nothing that man can do when compared to what God has in store for us. The word fear not is used 365 times in the Bible. That is one verse a day for a full year reminding us that God is in control. It is one of the most repeated commands in the Bible, fear not. Trust is one of the most crucial building blocks of becoming emotionally intimate with someone, and it is absolutely fundamental for a healthy, close relationship. If we know God's true character, is it really any wonder that God says to us repeatedly in Scripture, Do not fear? Our holy and loving God encourages us uh, everything we do to let go of control and trust in His Holy Spirit. Every day, every hour, every moment. That is what we are called to do. And because of who he is, we are able to do just that. If you're listening today and you are struggling when it comes to trusting God in trials, you are not alone and you are not failing. When we go to church and we call ourselves Christians and are trying to live a Jesus-led life, our fear can sometimes feel like a lack of faith. When in reality, it's just a place for us to surrender that area to God more fully. Fear is something very real and I'm sure we've all felt it, uh, especially over these past few months with what's been going on in our world. I'm sure each of us could name a number of times where we felt fear and anxiety and life was really heavy on our hearts. And honestly, there probably won't ever be a time where we don't feel that fear. Are you encouraged yet? Doesn't that sound nice? But thankfully here, what this is what is encouraging. We have a God who has gone before us and won. I want to look at a verse, which is from John 16, And it says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That verse, uh, the first time I read it, I kind of stopped after in this world, you will have trouble. And I thought, how is this a nice thing to say? But then it is immediately followed by, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We are going to have moments where we are fearful. That's just reality. And we're going to have moments where we feel like there is no end to the pain we're in. Even David did. Listen to Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, uh, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say i have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when i fall david clearly understands that this earthly life is going to bring troubles he says it right in this verse he's living in the midst of it as he's writing these things and he doesn't sugarcoat how he feels but god's promise of trouble however is never overshadowed by the faithfulness of god the last two verses of psalm 13 are but i trust in your unfailing love my heart rejoices in your salvation I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Now, this is quite the change in wording from saying things like, um, how long will you not answer? Uh, All of a sudden he's saying, God, I fully trust you. We ask God how long we're going to have fear. I do it all the time. How long is this going to last? How long until things are better? But before we even have the answer, we are to praise God for what we know he will do. We have to trust in his promise. For each trial that we face and each anxiety and fear that we feel, God has already overcome it. He has gone to the cross to take our sins upon himself so that we can face our earthly trials with the confidence of what God has said. Because at the end of the day, he is a God who has overcome it all. Coming back to the psalm that we are looking at today, it is easier to understand the confidence that David has When we look a little more into it, he has seen the faithfulness of God work in his life and has been provided hope when he felt hopeless. He doesn't hesitate to say that regardless of what man can do to him, he will trust in the Lord and not be afraid because he knows the character of God. In both Psalm 13 and Psalm 56, David finishes with speaking of the good things that God has done for him after a list of the hardships that he is facing. He continues to praise regardless. The last verses of Psalm 56 I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Uh, This isn't trying to make up for his fear, but instead focusing on the promises that we are called to place our trust in. David was an incredible man of God, and yet he still struggled. And he wasn't the only one. One of my favorite stories in the Bible uh, comes from Mark 4. It's a story that I've been reflecting a lot on in this season of life. So I want to read it for you. Uh, it says, the day, That day when evening came, he, meaning Jesus, said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus, um, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? So this story I've always loved because it shows the power of God to be able to calm a storm. And I always thought, how amazing is it that God has that authority? And I would read this story and I would think about how the meaning of the story was that God can still the storms in our lives. And while that is absolutely true, in these past few months, I've started to see the story from a different angle. Uh, I'm now realizing that I'm one of the disciples in the boat rather than an onlooker of this story. And here's why. These are the disciples. They are being taught and trained by Jesus himself. They have seen him do incredible miracles like healing the lame, making the blind see, and raising people from the dead. They know that Jesus is who he says he is when he says he's the son of God. They don't doubt that at all because they have seen it to be true. Yet, while well, on this boat in the storm, and they fear that they may drown. And I used to think that this was ridiculous Like Jesus calls his disciples out for being afraid and I would think, you're in the boat with Jesus himself and yet you're still afraid that you're going to drown? How could you be afraid? He is not going to let that happen. He's calmed the storm by telling it to be still. So where is your faith, disciples? But what I've learned is that I'm no better than those disciples. I know how the story ends, which makes it even worse. I know that it's going to turn out okay. I have Jesus in my boat and yet there are still moments where I feel like he is sleeping in the middle of a terrible storm and I'm going to drown. And when the storm passes, God looks to me and says the same. Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? And this isn't a condescending tone. This isn't him um, getting mad that we have a lack of trust, but reminding me that he has promised me that I will be okay. And he has given me a book of promises so that my lack of trust doesn't need to be. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me from my sin, and yet I think that after all that, I'm going to let a storm be overtaken? Like, God will save me from my storms. If I look at who he is, then how could I be afraid? I am not an onlooker of this story, but a disciple in the boat. Thankfully, just as God used them, he can use us in our mistakes and our doubts as well. John Piper, uh, he's a famous preacher. He explains feeling fear as a Christian really well. He says it like this. Suppose you are in a car race and your enemy, who doesn't want you to finish the race, throws mud on your windshield. The fact that you temporarily lose sight of your goal and start to swerve does not mean that you are going to quit the race. And it certainly doesn't mean that you are on the wrong racetrack, otherwise your competitor wouldn't bother at all. What it means is that you should turn on your windshield wipers. When anxiety strikes and blurs our vision of God's glory and greatness and the fear of the future plans that he has for us, that does not mean that we are faithless or that we are not going to make it to heaven. It means our faith is being attacked. At first blow, our belief in God's promises may sputter and swerve. But whether we stay on the track and make it to the finish line depends on whether, by grace, we set in motion a process of resistance, whether we fight back against the unbelief of anxiety. Will we turn on the windshield wipers? Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Notice it doesn't say, I will never struggle with fear. Fear strikes and the battle begins. So the Bible does not assume that true believers will have no anxieties. Instead, the Bible tells us how to fight when they strike. The Bible tells us how to turn on the windshield wipers. So today, I really just encourage you to turn on your windshield wipers. In those moments that you are feeling fear and you are overwhelmed like David in this psalm, I encourage you to grab a book of promises and faithfulness that can speak to you in your life. Uh, He is true to his word. God is unfailing and we can trust him in the midst of our huge fears and anxieties because he loves us so much that he will never let a storm overtake us. Uh, today, as we close, I would like you to take a moment to just give your fears to God. Just give him the things that are weighing down on you and keeping you from trusting in him fully. He is faithful to his promises and he's faithful to his people. So today, as we close in prayer, please give those things to him. And don't be afraid to let go of that control because he's the one who has all control. God, we thank you that we can just spend time in your word today, God. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us a book of promises and of your word that you have spoken to us, God. We get to know your character fully, God, and that is an incredible honor for us. We are so grateful that we get to know who you are and what you are going to do for us, Lord Jesus. So today, as we um, just struggle with the topic of fear and anxiety, God, I pray that you just bring us peace and comfort in those moments, God, and that you bring reminders of what you have done before and what you have yet to do. And God, as we close today and we give these all to you, we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you for who you are, God. We love you. Two weeks from today, we continue our psalm series as we look at Psalm 139. But next Sunday, uh, we have a message from our friend and uh, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada global worker, uh, Kelly Schultz, Kelly and Ange, Uh, used to be in our church family. They're serving God and his mission over in Southeast Asia, and Kelly is uh, recording his message there and sending it to us for us to be encouraged by uh, next Sunday. Uh, Unprecedented love is the the title, so don't miss that. Great to uh, have you with us today. Have a fantastic week.